Welcome to Onward, the show where we explore emerging social innovations and chat with social innovators. I'm your host, Daniel Weinsberg. What does ownership mean in the digital age? Sure, the physical stuff has obvious originals and backups, but what happens when most of our possessions aren't physical? As our lives move more and more virtual, answering this question becomes very important. Questions of authenticity. Is this the exact item I think it is? Like if you're buying clothing or handbags, shoes online, or maybe an encrypted file, or receiving rewards points. Questions of history. Who else has owned this data? Like an album or a movie that you get online, or something that you purchased that's been resold or an event ticket, and also questions of piracy. There already exists a market for possessions that have been made digital. It's called eBay. And eBay has battled the questions of their users' products' authenticity, use history, and connection to piracy since the beginning, as have most online marketplaces. Blockchain technology's inherent transparency, veracity, and decentralized nature baked into the infrastructure make it uniquely applicable to facilitate and manage the transference and the engagement with your digital possessions. And of course, you guessed it, someone's out there making that possible right now. These blockchain products support a growing universe of something called NFTs, non Fungible tokens. NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are unique digital items with blockchain-managed ownership. Examples include, and I quote, collectibles, game items, digital art, event tickets, domain names, and even ownership records of physical assets, like a car title or a home title. So today, I'm talking with the creator of one of the largest marketplaces for buying, selling, and discovering rare digital items. I present to you Devin Finsner of OpenSea. Devin, welcome to Onward. How are you doing today? Pretty well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely excited to uh, be in conversation with you. I'm finding a lot of hope and inspiration in these dark days from some of the innovators who are working in the DeFi space. So before we get into the specifics of what you're working on, can you briefly tell us what is DeFi and why are you passionate about this space? Sure. Well, um, I think DeFi means different things to different people, but to me, uh, I kind of think of it as, um, number one, a reinvention of a lot of the financial primitives we take for granted in the existing world um, on these new, brand new decentralized networks. Um, so things like... Uh, stability of assets, stable coins, um, uh, lending, exchange, but all sort of managed through smart contract platforms. So I think that's the first piece of it. And then the second piece that is also exciting is kind of what are the brand new things that emerge from those building blocks when you have kind of those um, financial primitives on uh, on a distributed ledger. And so those are the things like, I think I would actually include things like NFTs in the DeFi space, um, 
uh, things like games that leverage DeFi components as part of the space. Um, and I think there's, we're kind of seeing a lot of stuff that um, maybe was previously unimagined in the traditional financial world, but makes sense in this new DeFi world. Um, and then, sorry, what was the second question? <laughs> I'm going to get to the second question, but first, uh, can you demystify for my less technical listeners, what is NFT? Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, so an NFT is a non-fungible token. So um, if you think about uh, a lot of the happenings in 2017 around currencies and ICOs, those were all leveraging um, the ERC-20 token standard, which was basically a way to deploy a currency on a blockchain. Um, but afterwards, um, or, or after kind of that, uh, that excitement, um, uh, folks realized that there were other sorts of assets that you could deploy on a blockchain that weren't necessarily currencies, but instead were things that had sort of these unique properties associated with them. The first of those was a game called CryptoKitties, which basically built a um, digital cat breeding game where the digital cats were uh, on the Ethereum blockchain and each cat was unique as opposed to the currency where you can swap uh, you know, one ether for another ether. You can't necessarily interchange uh, two of the same um, there are two crypto kitties because each one has different properties. So that's this idea of, uh, of a non-fungible token, um, basically an asset uh, that describes lots of different things in the world. Um, you can imagine art is non a non-fungible asset. Uh, game items are non-fungible assets, event tickets, domain names. Um, there's, there's quite a wide design space for these things. All right. And so... It strikes me that you've got a lot of talents. You could be doing a lot of things. Why are you passionate about working in this space? Yeah, well, I think I um, I kind of gradually got excited about uh, the blockchain space in starting in around 2017, the, the followed blockchain before that. Um, and I think, honestly, the um, thing that got me hooked was actually trying out some of the early... Uh, you could call them DeFi experiences, but I don't even know if the term DeFi existed back then. Yeah. Um, but, you know, products like Ether Delta. Um, and if folks remember, basically Ether Delta was this cryptocurrency exchange where um, instead of going and signing up for an account on Coinbase or Kraken, you literally just plugged in your MetaMask wallet and you could trade uh, assets. Uh, you could trade currencies. Now, it was uh, <laughs> no... Um, not to kind of rag on the Ether Delta team, but it was not the best user experience. It was, a, it was a pretty terrible user experience for a variety of reasons, not necessarily the Ether Delta team's fault, but just because it was, it was so early. But in some ways, it was actually a really interesting user experience uh, in that you, know, you didn't have to sign up for any account. You could sort of immediately start trading any token um, and immediately Ether Delta knew what tokens were in your wallet. You didn't have to like send them to a, spe a specific um, a new account or anything like that. And so I thought that user experience was actually pretty interesting. Um, and that was about the time that uh, projects around uh, DEXs, um, projects doing automated market making uh, ideas were, were sort of brainstorming how to take those sort of user experiences to the next level um, and really provide like eventually a, uh, a usable um, experience around these new sorts of um, sort of native to the blockchain world experiences. So that's that's kind of what got me initially excited. Um, and then 
I think uh, seeing things like CryptoKitties take that to more of a mainstream user and broaden things outside of just the sort of pure financial use case uh, got me even more excited. And so you're working on a project called OpenSea. What is it? What's the problem that it's solving? Sure. So OpenSea is a marketplace for digital goods that are that live on the blockchain. So you can think of us um, kind of like a Coinbase Kraken or something like that. Um, but instead of cryptocurrencies, we, we exchange these unique digital assets. So things we started out in um, late 2017 as just sort of an eBay for CryptoKitties, a place where you could go and put your CryptoKitties on sale. Um, we had a variety of ways to auction your CryptoKitties. So um, there was the Dutch auction method, which is basically you set a starting price and an ending price, and the price declines over time. Happy to dive more into that. There's an eBay-style auction where you sell to the highest bidder. Um, there's ways to bundle multiple items together. So there's quite a number of different ways you can now buy and sell these collectibles. Um, and the exciting thing is that, uh, you know, while we started with CryptoKitties in 2017, um, the number and diversity of these projects has expanded dramatically. So now there are uh, lots of different games that use NFTs as the game items. Uh, there are a number of domain name related projects, um, like the Ethereum name service, for example. Um, and there are even projects uh, outside of gaming, like digital art uh, and event tickets that um, are starting to emerge. So uh, OpenSea is kind of, in some ways, we're a catch-all uh, if the game decides the, the project decides that they don't want to sort of reinvent the wheel and build their own marketplace. They can use OpenSea, and we have a variety of solutions to make it really easy for games and projects to build um, their own customized marketplace experience on top of our platform. And so can you give me an example of who's selling a ticket on OpenSea or what who's holding a ticket, is that a physical event ticket or is that an online like VR experience ticket? So I think that there have been some online VR experience tickets, but I uh, can't point to one offhand. So the uh, main uh, actual events that have used NFTs for tickets have been um, NFT NYC, uh, both last year and this year. This was a okay. conference all about NFTs. They basically just sold NFTs as uh, tickets and it was it was actually really simple to do because if you think about what a ticket is um you know aside from all the kind of event management side of things it's really just a way to own an asset and then prove that you own that asset right when you get to the door and so as long as you have that functionality it works oh. so this is like the the digital analog of my brother keeping every ween show ticket that he's been to under his yes desk. exactly yeah and so i think the i mean you know I'm not sort of expecting, I, there's a couple projects that are working on ticketing, which I think are super exciting. Um, I'm not expecting like the entire ticketing industry to move to the blockchain uh, anytime particularly soon, mm -hmm. uh, but there are interesting benefits. So uh, one is this kind of collectability component, the fact that you can hang on to your ticket a lot longer and show it off in a variety of places. Um, the other piece is the liquidity component. So you can now have, um, thriving secondary marketplaces for tickets a lot more easily than you could if um, 
if you kind of had it had just a centralized ticket and then as you know the main thing that people point to with blockchains is the traceability of these tickets you can kind of see where they went over time um pretty transparently uh and we also the, i just want to mention we also had um tickets for devcon um ethereum devcon cell on OpenSea, um and uh token summit um last year uh, also did tickets um through nfts so for the esports you're selling the NFTs are things like uh, in-game attributes. Let's say if it's a role-playing game, maybe in a player's armor or a different weapon or skill. Yeah. So, well, so for games in general, I would say um, it's a pretty wide range of uh, items that have been tokenized as NFTs. Most of the games that are using NFTs are brand new games. So. Mm -hmm. As an example, uh, there is a game, uh, there are several card trading games that are coming online. So Gods Unchained recently came online. It's basically a digital version of Magic the Gathering, um, which is a, a physical card game that, was, that, that continues to be really popular. And basically the cards are NFTs that you can trade around. Uh, Skyweaver is another um, card trading game that, that is taking a slightly different approach to their game economy, but similar approach in that the cards themselves are NFTs. Um, in other games, uh, the NFTs represent uh, virtual plots of land that you can build things on. So um, there's a project called CryptoVoxels, which um, basically allows, uh, it's, it was actually for quite some time, it was just one developer. Um, and he came on and started selling these virtual plots of land. And when you own a piece of land, you can build whatever you want on top of it. So uh, kind of like Minecraft, you can, um, you can place these blocks and build uh, structures. Now, what was, there were a couple things that were interesting about that. One was um, he immediately had a thriving secondary marketplace for his land. And so while he started selling this land in, I think, mid-2018, priced at about 0.2 Ether each, now the land sells for five or six Ether. In fact, there was a bundle that sold for, I think it was uh, 100 Ether, or I think it was 500 Ether. Yeah, it was, it was like $100,000, a bundle of this virtual land. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so um, you now have kind of this really interesting kind of speculative market around the land. And then the other really cool thing about the project is that you can bring in um, your digital art from other NFT projects inside of the virtual world and display them. So people have made like CryptoKitty museums inside of CryptoVoxels or just digital art museums. And so it's, a, it's pretty interesting to kind of have that interoperability of yeah. being able to take in all these different assets and place them inside of a virtual world. Um, and Decentraland is another one that's kind of taking a, a similar approach with, with virtual land. Now, were you a collector prior to coming to the blockchain world? I see a nice piece of art behind you. <laughs> well, I'm actually in an Airbnb right now, so oh. um, <laughs> um, I uh, let's see, was I was I a collector? Um, I've never been a huge collector. I did collect stamps and uh, sort of collected rocks when I was a kid, but I, I wasn't a huge collector. Um, I what I guess the one thing that I have always been kind of interested in is kind of organizing my 
interests and um and in some ways sort of my digital stuff so i was a pretty avid user of pinterest um for a while to kind Mm -hmm. of like have boards of my favorite movies and boards of my favorite books and i i kind of liked that um way to sort of visually represent all the things i was interested in um and yeah i but i I was never a huge um collector I, i guess i'm sort of getting more interested in it as i get deeper into the space so this might be out of pocket a bit, but what's your most precious NFT that's in your possession? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Uh, let me look at my... And precious doesn't have to be a monetary value. It could be its intrinsic value to you. Yeah. Um, well, I really like... So there's a um, generative art project uh, called Avastars um that i think is pretty cool so um they're sort of they're i think what's cool about the project is they are all sort of nft community members who are coming together and um building an nft project together i believe that the folks who built it kind of met through the nft community and um what they're doing is they're kind of uh they're doing this generative art idea where Um, you have these like components, like let's say a hat, um, let's say a face, a shirt, and you can, the project kind of auto generates these new, um, sort of images of people based on an algorithm. And I'm I'm not, I wouldn't be able to go into like super deep into how the algorithm works. Um, but they, I think they're still working on kind of releasing the full project, but they released, um, some kind of exclusive, what they call founder avastars. Um, and what I, I particularly like the, uh, some people, uh, or people have different opinions on kind of the art, but I particularly like the art associated with it. And um, they made a open sea hat um, with the open sea logo, which I thought was kind of cool. So That's I'm big whatever I see it in my account. So, um- Zooming out of the market that you've made, what's what surprises you about the NFT market in general? Yeah, um, let's see. I would say there are a couple categories I didn't expect to be as uh, to thrive as much as they have. Um, even though Thrive is all relative, I think like this is a very early market, yeah. but um, I actually didn't really expect digital art to kind of, I mean, it's hard to say whether it's taken off, but it definitely um, attracted a good community of people and collectors who are really excited about um, this idea of digital art. And so um, I think I've been, um, it's been exciting to see that community really like get passionate about how these NFTs are stored, like where the metadata lives, ensuring that they're going to persist over time. Um, that's a really big thing for, for digital art. And, and, you know, also some um, artists, some kind of up and coming crypto artists to really take advantage of the medium to, um, you know, start selling art for large sums of ETH. So um, there's an artist named Josie who's kind of been very careful about like only releasing a certain number of her editions of her work or 
work is really, in my opinion, quite beautiful and um, uh, super cool to look at. And she's been able to sell works for, I think, in the range of uh, 10 to 15 ETH typically. Um, and so she's, she's actually generated, you know, some significant revenue from just being a crypto artist. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really expect um, that to be a thing so early on um, because I, I, I was kind of um, more betting on these games that would have intrinsic utility for the yeah. asset side of a game. So are you seeing any artists coming into the digital art space from not being blockchain related and they see this as a neat opportunity and neat digital analog, as well as some of the folks in the crypto space who are saying, oh, I'm an artist, maybe I'll try out this new nifty tool? Yeah, I would say I, I don't have as, as um, close of a read on the art side of things as other projects in the space, but I would mm -hmm. Both of those things are happening. Certainly, um, crypto folks are thinking, oh, this is kind of cool. I, I know a little bit about how to create nice art, and I'll try tokenizing some of it and just see what happens. Um, yeah. uh, and then I think also on um, the artist side, uh, you know, I've talked to a number of folks. I actually um, did a short presentation at the New York of fashion or fashion institute of technology um and it was an interesting kind of data point uh, around how excited creative folks could get around this stuff when you kind of tell them about how it works um mm -hmm. all of the students there were really excited about setting up a wallet and trying this out now it'll awesome. i think there are definitely barriers um i i'm not sure how many artists are kind of like getting involved in this and, and how quickly it's happening, but I could certainly see it um, continuing to grow steadily over, over the next year. Okay. So if OpenSea is successful, how will we know? What will it look like? What will the impact be? How are you measuring success? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I would say, I, I think um, at a sort of, small scale what we look for is just kind of the amount of dollars that or the amount of money that passes through our marketplace and sort of the liquidity of our exchange right mm -hmm. that's kind of the metric that we track as a company um and and so i think you know if we're able to bring more uh creators on board if we're able to bring more game projects on board and have these sort of thriving digital economies um, that'll be sort of a means that we're headed in the right direction if we continue to grow that. Now, I think long term, um, I would say, uh, you know, I it's hard to really say. I think um, the, it, that, the answer to that question could mean a lot of different things depending on kind of the industry, right? For gaming, I think what people are really excited about is this idea that um, free market economies inside of games will bring a new level of kind of entrepreneurial activity inside of games where people can actually, you know, you have however many billion gamers out there and um, a lot of them are, are kind of working for free, um, but they're actually providing a lot of value to these um, game economies and they could be compensated for that. They could have much stronger incentives to um, uh, participate and sort of be involved in entrepreneurial activity inside the games. And so for gaming, I think 
you know, that would be sort of, that trend would be really exciting. Um, in the digital art space, I think having, um, you know, a real profession be as a digital artist, um, which, you know, maybe exists for a few folks now, but um, could exist, could be the case for a lot more folks. Um, so I, I guess I would say, yeah, it's, it's it, but then, you know, if you look at other sorts of tokenized assets, the answer might be uh, somewhat different. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's pretty early days. Uh, and I guess at a high level, we think more and more types of assets are going to become tokenized in this capacity. And, uh, you know, that'll mean different things for different asset classes. I get excited hearing about you talk about the implication of the sports arena because it, it changes the dynamic. It makes the players actual contributors, not just consumers of the games that they're participating in. So they're co-creating the, the armor, the swag, the cards, whatever it might be. And so it feels like a win-win-win there. Yeah. So all this is predicated, um, all the success on blockchain becoming incorporated at large scale. So what currently keeps you up at night about the state of blockchain? Yeah, um, well, one thing that definitely uh, is concerning, um, but I suppose, uh, and it's concerning for applications building on Ethereum right now. But I'm not, I'm not pessimistic that it uh, won't get solved at some point. It's just kind of a question of how you deal with it as a startup. Um, but I think you know we have seen several um, instances of the Ethereum network being flooded by. Um, you know, CryptoKitties was kind of the first example of the flooding of the Ethereum network. And we, we also had some recently with the uh, crash in the price of Ether. And I think, um, you know, it, it'll be, I think at some point, um, there will be a, a number of bigger problems associated with that, that the that DAP developers, as well as sort of Ethereum core developers and perhaps even new startups that are, are springing up will will solve. Um, and but you know it could be a bit disruptive in you know the, the bad way, the bad way of using the word disruptive in that like you know for a business such as OpenSea that that relies on some level of throughput on the Ethereum network, um, you know, what what exactly are we gonna do when that happens, right? Um, and you know, how quickly will there be alternatives? And you know, what does that mean from like the kind of timeline for our business? Um, so I, I do worry a bit about that, um, but I, I only worry about it as a short-term um, phenomenon, right? Because I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of work being done both on the Ethereum side and on these, these newer blockchains to solve a lot of those problems and kind of, exp there's a, a Cambrian explosion of experimentation in the layer one and layer two space. And so I'm confident that we'll be able to solve some of the problems. Um, the other things, um, yeah, and then I, I think kind of related to that, I would say it's very tricky to kind of um, figure out the timing around various trends, right? You kind of have to figure out 
like, and especially like if you're looking at like, what are the most compelling use cases for NFTs or tokenization? Um, you can look at gaming and gaming is, you know, this kind of nice experimental digital playground where you can try out a lot of stuff. You don't have to worry about the real world and you can, um, you know, that's, that's a really interesting contender. Um, but then there are also kind of these throughput requirements for gaming that make it, that do seem worrisome, right? Um, uh, so you could look at things like digital art, um, uh, but there's, there's challenges there. And so I think, yeah, I would say just the general category of like, what is the timing around some of these trends is, uh, you know, often pretty difficult to predict. All right, but I'm an optimist. So let's, uh, let's flip the question and focus there. What are you really stoked about right now in the crypto space? I would say I continue to be really stoked about um, what these building blocks that exist in DeFi, of which I think OpenSea is sort of one of them, um, or I guess in the, the DAP space uh, at large, will mean for um, smaller companies that want to quickly launch things like marketplaces for their projects and quickly test new ideas. Um, I think crypto voxels was a great example of that. Uh, as I mentioned, it was just one developer at first and he just started selling land and he didn't have to build all of that infrastructure himself, right? I think this is, in some ways you can view this as kind of an extension of open source. Um, if you were a developer and you wanted to build, a, let's take a marketplace, for example, right? What you would do is you'd certainly have a lot of open source uh, libraries to rely on, you know, uh, um, or, and also just kind of traditional startups to rely on. So you could use Stripe, you could, um, you know, there's lots of different open source frameworks for building your backend, um, but you'd have to build like all of the pieces of that marketplace, right? And now what's interesting is you have a much more, uh, a, a, a somewhat different kind of open source library to plug into. And that's this idea of an NFT. And if you, uh, or, or an ass, a digital asset on a blockchain, right? And if you decide to build your digital assets on a blockchain, immediately you are tradable on, you know, OpenSea and a variety of other marketplaces. Immediately, you could use that NFT as a collateral and a loan if you wanted to. And so you have all of these kind of building blocks and primitives um, that you would have to kind of reinvent from the ground up if you were building things with like traditional as traditional software stack, even if you used open source software to build some of those things. And so I just think that um, uh, basically being able to plug into these sort of open source, uh, I guess you call them libraries, but they're, they're really the smart contracts, um, is gonna enable businesses to get off the ground a lot easier, a lot more easily, and kind of interoperate in brand new ways. Um, and I think that will just sort of lead to continual uh, experimentation um, and just a lot of really interesting stuff happening that wouldn't necessarily happen if you had to uh, build the whole stack. I, I had never considered that, but you bring up an excellent point there. So what, what do you say to folks you run across who aren't blockchain affiliated, don't have a wallet, own no crypto to try to invite them, encourage them to enter the space? So I think the idea of uh, digital ownership over things like game items is a good way to uh, get folks who are 
uh, who don't know about blockchain excited. So um, I think one analog that uh, you can point to is think about the physical art market. So why is it, you know the original Mona Lisa so valuable and why can it sell for actually I think hundreds of millions of dollars, right? It's because there's an original Mona Lisa that's one of a kind. And you could go and you could commission someone to paint something that looks exactly the same. That's totally possible, but you're not unless you can <laughs> fake it that it's the same, uh, you're not going to go and sell that for, for that much money, right? So now think about uh, if I was to create a JPEG on my computer and send it to you, there would be no notion of who, and then you could, you could send it to 10 people, right? You could forward that email and everyone now has that JPEG. Post it uh, on my Facebook, the world shares it, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Exactly. Everyone knows Devin, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so there's, that's sort of, it's a lot easier to replicate um, digital stuff than this physical stuff, but both of them are possible, right? Replicating digital uh, images and replicating physical images. And so what if you introduced the notion of uh, the original into the digital world, right? Yeah. Then you could innate, you could unlock this brand new market for, um, for digital art. So I think digital art, if you're not a game, and then if you're a gamer, I think it's even easier. You just say, well, imagine what if you could really easily take uh, an item inside of your game and go and trade it on a secondary marketplace outside of the game or bring it into another game. Um, uh, so that kind of idea of interoperability in secondary markets uh, is uh, pretty intuitive, I think, to to gamers. But to people who aren't gamers, I think the art example um, gets folks uh, excited. Yeah. So I found OpenSea through the Status DAP store. Oh, nice. And so I'm, I'm curious, what makes uh, that store status a good platform for visibility distribution for, for OpenSea, for NFTs? Yeah, well, I think uh, the, the status app store um, and sort of the wallet itself is like a really interesting entry point for um, users, right? So people who are looking to explore kind of the world of dApps, um, uh, you know, and I think we've we've seen some good referral traffic from the status app store as well. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a very exciting portal um, for folks to come in and kind of better understand the the first the sort of monetary primitives. So, like, what is ether? Um, what what are these different assets? And then sort of see what they can do with their ether or what they can do with their die or whatnot. And then OpenSea, I think, is kind of one of those. Um, uh, use cases where it's like, oh, I can buy this digital stuff. You know, at the moment, the digital stuff is limited to um, a specific set of games and projects, but yeah. hopefully that expands and there's there's other sorts of things you can buy. Um, but I think there's this nice harmony between um, the status app explorer and um, sort of the wallet layer and these new sorts of digital experiences like OpenSea. So for folks who are interested in learning more about yourself, OpenSea, NFTs, where can we point them? So my Twitter is dfinzer. The OpenSea Twitter is at OpenSea. Um, and then the website is OpenSea.io. Uh, I would also recommend we did a, lar a long post about NFTs that kind of goes over the history of non-fungible tokens called the NFT Bible. 
Um, and it, I think that should come up if you Google for it, but it's also in our blog. Um, and that's kind of a nice introduction to uh, the whole NFT space and things that have been happening. All right, excellent. We'll link to all that in the show notes. And finally, before I let you get on with your day of quarantine, um, any last words, calls to action, suggestions? Um, let's see, any last words? I mean, my only last words would be, I would just recommend, uh, I think the easiest way, if you're kind of curious about crypto um, or about these new sorts of dApps, uh, the easiest way to understand them is to go and try them, right? Uh, to go and um, uh, buy something, uh, you know, buy something small, uh, put it on sale. Um, and I think just getting a feel for, for that um, is a good way to start. The world is moving at breakneck speed. And as you've probably become aware, our lives are more and more reliant upon our data. Little bits, bytes, bots, networks, webs, and watts, you know, these, we own these things, but have little ability to utilize them in a manner we use our physical possessions. Trading, upgrading, collecting, hoarding, so on and so forth. So digital ownership's an important field to understand as more and more of our lives go online. Tomorrow is being built today. We know times are changing, and I can't express how much excitement and hope I have talking with these people on the front lines of building the tools that will shape the decades ahead. OpenSea is just one exciting example that you can begin to poke around on by simply going to OpenSea.io or going to your app store and downloading a status wallet. Then in two clicks time, you will find OpenSea. So as we go down the road of blockchain and decentralized finance, please try to tag along and begin to interact with some of these Web3 tools. Let me know your thoughts. Let Devin know your thoughts. He's easy to reach out to. You just tweet at him. That's how I found him. Let the OpenSea community know your thoughts and start to get engaged with the world of tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in to the Onward podcast. It's your support, it's your feedback, it's your comments, it's your suggestions that are really driving this show forth. So if you've got any comments, feedback, questions, suggestions, connections, you name it, feel free to get at me at dweinzveg at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Daniel Weinsveg, spelled the same way. If you're enjoying the show, give it a like on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Make a comment, share it with somebody you think could be inspired, turned on, informed by the conversations we have here. A little social engagement on this weird technology mainframe goes a long way. Before I go, I'd like to give a big shout out to my dear friend, Jay Lately. Jay Lately's music is the soundtrack to the Onward podcast. So if you dig the tunes that's behind the music, the, the intros, the transitions, that's all Jay Lately. Check him out on Spotify. He's been doing this work, following his heart, inspiring folks with his poetry, his words, and his passion for over 10 years. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, onward and up.